Welcome to the 288th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. Well, COVID be gone. I'm continuing to increase my running mileage. I think I hit 48 miles uh, for the seven or eight days before. Um, so yep, things are progressing, you know, we're, uh, getting back up to normal, adding the long runs in, in the weekends. And, uh, it's kind of funny. I felt much better on the 10 miler on Sunday than I did the same 10 miler of the week that I was getting COVID. So do make a difference. So, uh, we're on, we're going to try and see what we can do. Not sure I can make 50 miles, but, um, Got all day to try to do it, so I think we're going to keep at it. And as long as uh, no other bumps come in the road, we're going to lace it up for February the 13th at the 50-mile Hoka Run in just uh, north of Houston. So, again, everything's going going well. Hope everything's going well for you. Um, I'm continuing to do a little supplementation with vitamin C and vitamin D just to kind of give my antioxidants a boost. I think, you know, again, part of the reason why I, I guess I should say COVID caught me was um, I was probably a little run down with the mileage. So I'm going to try to keep my antioxidants boosted a little bit uh, so we can get through this marathon season. It's 50 miler in February, a marathon in March. And then back out to Utah for a 50K in April. So it's going to be a busy spring, hopefully. Again, COVID be gone from the world. So it's still January and we're still coming into a new year. The holiday season is behind us and we're all trying to get our act together. I'm trying to get back into running, um, you know, put away some of those cravings from a little bit more sweets perhaps than uh, usual, get back into my fruit routine. I haven't done a backyard report lately, but I've got six mango trees that are in bloom, so I'm excited about that. We have three papaya trees with um, that are actually loaded with papaya. Some are getting ripe, so that's exciting. And um, have some kale on the tower garden, a little bit of collards on the tower garden. Need to get uh, busy with some tomatoes and get things planted, get my act together a little bit and get back into gardening mode. Took a little bit of a hiatus there with some cold weather that we had. And I know it's not that cold here in Florida, but cold enough that it wasn't really garden season. So anywho, but trying to get uh, back in the swing of things, um, you know, just because we need to, often doesn't lead to actually doing anything. You know, people want to get healthy. There's nobody that's ever walked into my office that enjoyed being unhealthy. But it's not that easy to actually do it because there's so many other things get in the road or other people get in the road or or, or whatever. But, it, you know, multiple people and multiple psychologists that are that are much smarter than I, you know, talk about purpose and telling a story and um, one person that, I, that I'm currently listening to um, by the name of Jim Lore, who is a sports psychologist, tells a story to his corporate clients um, or, or, or does a, an exercise in his group um, lectures. 
and he and he offers five million dollars if someone is willing to cross. And I'm going to screw it up a little bit, but if there's a, you know, if you're on a high, if you're at a, they're at the high rise, and um, five million dollars to walk across the plank from one building to the next, you know, so it's seven or eight floors up. Um, plank is twelve inches wide, you know, about an inch thick. You know, would anybody consider doing it? Give you $5 million, I'll pay the taxes, anybody want to. So two or three people raise their hands, and then he says, okay, well, just to give you a little bit more information, it's kind of windy uh, out, and it's a little bit foggy, so, you know, people put their hand down. He said, okay, I want to try it again. What about $50 million, same conditions? Maybe we'll make the walk a little bit shorter. And nobody really raises their hand. And it's like, okay, we'll make it just a little bit shorter, no money, but your family's on the other end, and to save their life, you have to walk across the plank. Everybody raises their hand that they'll do it. So obviously, you know, we're all about, most of us are willing to put our lives down for our family and our loved ones. Um, No brainer, right? Doesn't matter. Money is not an object. Yet money and time and all those things tend to get in our way in our day-to-day life. Even though family is our number one priority, sometimes it gets put back uh, in lieu of trying to make money. And we all justify that as, well, we're making money for our family. And if our family didn't have that, then they would suffer. And see, it's all about that. But, you know, again, everybody's heard the story that if, you know, on your last day of life, if you look back, you know, what made, what, you know, what do you regret, you know, making money or not being with your family? Most people would have, would take that I wish I would have spent more time with my family. So how do I, turn that into changing your lifestyle when it comes to your health. And again, it's about finding, you know, the ultimate purpose to get you to do something that um, is pushing your limits. I spoke with someone today, you know, I talked, you know, I grew up in West Virginia. I ate everything under the sun. Um, I loved pastries and all those other kind of things. So there's nobody that really come, have come into my office that, you know, that have eaten any worse, I would say, than I have as far as, you know, those kind of foods. Um, But, you know, I change. So what would make them, you know, it can be a radical change at first, especially when it's new to you. Um, If you're given the option, you have coronary artery disease, and you can either change your diet radically different from the way you've grown up all your life, or have a procedure done, what makes you able to change your life so that you don't have to have that procedure done or or don't ever have to have that procedure done. And most of the time it doesn't work out that well unless someone has had the ultimate scare. And just like having your family at the other end of the tower or to walk across one, one building to the next, the ultimate scare is usually the fear of death or, and, and not only the fear of death, but looking death in the eye. So, you know, the heart attack, the cancer scare, the chemotherapy, the bypass, those are the things that really get people's attention. Um, the brush, the brush with death, so to speak, that, that make people say, okay, I'll, I'll change. Unfortunately, they don't seem to last. You know, the bypass comes and goes, the scars heal, the pain goes away, and we start to slip back into the mode of what, where we came from and start to resume our, our, own, our own habits. So what ultimately, you know, how do we sustain that, that fear? Don't want to necessarily sustain that fear, but how do we sustain 
that story or, or that motivation um, that really, that purpose that, that gets us across and keeps us on the straight and narrow. And that's the, you know, $100 million question really for everybody is how do you, how do you stay on that? And I, and I think it, it varies a lot with the individual. There are people, if you think about, um, put it into automobile um, analogies, there are people that are really good about changing the oil in their car and checking the tire pressure and keeping their car very clean and really doing their maintenance spot on without having to have reminders, without having to uh, push the limits. You know, the gas level goes down, you know, below a half, it's always filled up. The oil's always changed. And then there are others that drive around with the warning lights on. You know, it's like, well, you know, I get a couple more miles. They mean to change some, the oil at 3,000. Maybe I can push it to four. Um, I'll get it clean next week. We can push it just a little bit further. And they don't really change or do something about their vehicle until it stops on the side of the road. And it's like, oh, okay, you know, if I can just get out of this 9 o'clock on the side of the road, you know, I'm really going to change, change my ways. And, again, people do things for a while, and then they forget the pain of being on the side of the road, and they go back to their old habits. It can be that way with a speeding ticket, right? You can get a speeding ticket, you drive real close, you drive the speed limit for a while, and then you start to kind of edge up, you know, follow in with traffic. You know, it's, that's life, that's human nature. But I think... The personalities of those those scenarios dictate a, a lot as to how you're going to be able to make some radical changes in your life. So, you know, I use myself as an example. I'm, I'm pretty good at getting a habit started. You know, if I do a push-up challenge, I can keep the push-up challenge going after about six or seven days, and I'll keep it going for a year. Um, you know, I set out to do a marathon. I'm focused. I got a plan. I'm going to follow it. But even myself with the ability to develop a habit very easy, I can also undevelop the habit. Didn't run for eight or nine days with COVID. Kind of started getting out of the habit after all those years. Had a few cookies celebrating Christmas with Addie and her family. They were plant-based cookies. I can justify it all day long. No oil, but they had sugar in them that's my favorite breakfast, you know, maybe I could trade those off, you know, for my usual fruit bowl that I have. So I have to get a hold of myself. It's like, nope, this, this is not a habit I want to get back into. You know, it's over, get back into your other routine. So I can get back into a routine and go, but, you know, being human, I can also get out of the, out of the routine and out of the habit very easy. So I kind of have to police myself a little bit and be mindful of, these are my goals. I have a terrible family history of cardiovascular disease. If I get overweight, I'm going to get diabetes. If I eat oil, I'm going to get indigestion. So I know those in the back of my mind, and I have to, you know, those are my purpose and my hard nose as far as why I don't want to go back to an old way of eating. I want to be able to run into my 80s and, and do things and be active with my grandson and future grandchildren, perhaps, so that's a driver for me. I know that that chance will be taken away from me given my family history if I don't stay on my current path. So those are giant purpose motivators for me. 
if I sign up for a marathon, I can't wait until a month before and try to cram and raise up the mileage. I always, because I like to run and because I like to travel and do those, I try to stay at a level where it doesn't take too long to ramp up the mileage for those because my purpose is to be able to go and travel and do an event without starting from scratch. Everyone that comes in the office wants to be healthy, and if I were to ask people their purpose, they would say broadly, I'd like to be healthy. Everybody knows that the biggest risk factor for a bad outcome for COVID is being overweight, yet we do a really good job of not talking about it or using that as a purpose for losing weight or changing because, again, it seems so unlikely that something horrible would happen. You know, human nature as it is, we don't see something horrible as happening to us. And so that we ignore all those giant warning lights of being overweight, blood pressure going up, diabetes, high cholesterol. Can't The, the ultimate event won't happen to us until it does. I talked a little bit last time about having a calendar and writing down what you do. And I think in addition to that, uh, having a journal is a great way. I, I think having a journal with what your purpose and what your goals are is, is, a, is a great thing to put either on the journal or you can even put it in the top of the calendar page every month. How are you doing that month at achieving those goals? If you're off, you know, um, when are you going to get back on? And if you keep turning the page, turning the month, and not having you know any success, then you just have to really re-examine it. And just a simple, simple example of weight loss as being a goal. You know, people this time of year, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, all the different commercials. You know, especially around Super Bowl time, they put the men that's lost forty pounds on the you know, on the commercial and all the people that have done, you know, these great things by doing, you know, radical changes, eating out of little cans for, you know, three months and getting inches off or, you know, radically giving up, you know, uh, a whole host of different foods to get the weight off. All you need to do for weight loss is cut calories in a very unpainful way just a little bit and you can see results that are steady. So it takes 3,600 calories of energy, basically to use 3,600 calories in your negative energy to lose a pound. So if you were to cut 200 calories every day from your intake, then at 60 days you would have lost 3.3 pounds. At 365 days, at just eliminating 200 calories, you will lose 20 pounds. Put that the other way around. By adding just 200 calories a day in two months, you'll gain 3.3 pounds. Or just 200 calories extra, you can gain 20 pounds in a year. And most people do the latter instead of the former. And the reason why weight loss programs don't work for the most part is we try to go for the radical. People come into the office and they say, I'm on a 1,200-calorie diet or only ate, you know, I'm using my fitness power or whatever fitness calculator and I'm only eating 1,200 calories a day, yet I haven't lost a pound. Well, it's inaccurate because what's recorded is the good things, you know, the bite of this, the grab of that, 
the taste of this, the condiment that the my fitness pal can't calculate is not in there. So you can, you know, lose a lot of calories. The, mo- the majority of people are off 20, 30% when you look at um, recorded calories. So it's better just to look at, let's find 200 calories every day that you can eliminate. Forget about exercise for right now, just eliminate 200 calories. There are nine calories per gram in fat four calories per gram in protein, four calories per gram in carbohydrate. If you were to eliminate cooking oil from your diet, one tablespoon, 140 calories. People's roast vegetables, they typically spray the pan or, you know, toss with, and they'll say just a little bit of cooking oil, but you know it's more than a tablespoon because nobody measures and nobody actually looks what a tablespoon is. So your 400 calories could be right on your roasted vegetables. It could be right in the pan that you saute your vegetables in, and that you're 200 calories anyway. So those are painless calories to give up. Perhaps it's a soda. You know, soft drinks, 140, 160 calories, a Gatorade. Um, Gatorade has done, and and I'm not picking on Gatorade, but let's just say sports drinks have done a great job at marketing the need for electrolytes. Well, before 1972 in the Olympics, you couldn't, you, people didn't do any, they didn't take anything in during the marathon. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, Gatorade was invented that they started putting Gatorade on a marathon course. So the lots of marathons have been run without Gatorade. Lots of training runs have been run without, without Gatorade. You lose more water than salt, and there's very few electrolyte disturbances, even when there's marked water dehydration, the electrolytes aren't too far out of whack and certainly not dangerously out of whack. So the need for Gatorade on a daily basis is, is null. So eliminate a sugary soft drink, take the oil out of your stir fry pan, and you're easily going to have your 200 calories. Forget about everything else. Keep it steady. Now, human nature being what it is, you know, um, that doesn't mean you go in and say, well, you know what? I cut out oil from, from my stir fry, so therefore I can have another portion of whatever. That's not it. We're not adding in. We're subtracting from the day. So look and see in the day where you can find 200 calories. If you can add some exercise onto that, 80 calories to walk a mile, you know, adds up even quicker. So you can see how easy it can be if you don't put so much pressure on doing the giant losses, just little bits, but steady. Every day, stick to the plan. And it's much easier to develop a habit or a new tradition or a new way of life when you do it every day as opposed to two days on, one day off, or a cheat day or whatever it is. Because that habit is formed six, seven days gets easier, two weeks it becomes a habit. Next thing you know, that's part of your life. If you look on cooking spray, it's, um, you know, no fat, right? right? But it's 0.06 seconds for a spray. So nobody uses 0.06 seconds for a spray of cooking spray. So it has a lot of fat and oil. There's only one way to get things to be, you know, one way to get that oil in that spray is to, is to have enough. It's oil. You know, if, if it's oil, it's oil. If it's fat, it's nine calories per gram. doesn't take much uh, when you're, you know, given a six, seven second spray. 
There's a new medication that's in a phase two trial called bimabgramab. And bimabgramab is, is a monoclonal antibody that blocks an activin type 2 receptor and stimulates muscle cell growth, but also decreases body fat mass and is thought to decrease hemoglobin A1c. And there was a trial um, in adult onset diabetics to see um, how much body fat mass that people might lose on this medication. So they took 75 patients. Um, They ended up with 58 able to complete the study. That meant that several um, either didn't tolerate the medications, lost to follow-up, quit, whatever. Um, And there had a body mass index of 28 to 40. To be obese, your body mass index is over 30, severely obese over 35, morbidly obese over 40. It was a 48 week, so almost a year um, following. They, every, both groups, both the placebo group and the BMAB, GRUMAB um, triad people, um, got exercise and diet counseling. The results of the study showed a decrease in body fat mass and a mild decrease in hemoglobin A1C. Um, well, the question, I'm sorry, is there, was there, is there a, is the question of the study was, is there a decrease in body fat mass and decreased hemoglobin A1C versus placebo? The hemoglobin A1C, which is a marker of glucose over three months, 6.5 to 10 in the participants. And what happened was 58 people completed the study. Uh, the age of her, the mean age was 60.4 and the mean body mass index was 32.9. There was a hemoglobin A1C improvement of 0.76. There was a weight loss of 6.5% and a fat mass loss of 20%. Um, So the hemoglobin A1C, the real marker of improvement, was just barely anything. Um, Again, there was some weight loss and fat mass loss. There were nine serious adverse effects in six patients that consisted of pancreatitis, gallstone, cellulitis, thermal burns, uh, acute myocardial infarction, and worsening of gastroparesis, which means uh, emptying of the stomach. And there were adverse effects in just about everybody, but even in the placebo group, 31 out of 37, 31 out of 38. So bad things happen to people that try to diet, I guess. So, this is a medication that had serious side effects and little in the way of improvement of hemoglobin A1C, but in some improvement in body fat mass. And, you know, and, and that's just, that's over almost a year, 48 weeks, versus let's try to cut 200 calories out of the diet and lose 20 pounds in a year and maybe add a little exercise into that. And again, the sky's the limit. I just took 200 calories out of a standard American diet and had people lose that weight. What happens if you eliminate all oil, you eliminate animal products? You know, people will talk about animal protein. You can't get animal protein without animal fat. They'll come together. A piece of salmon has saturated fat, cholesterol, as well as protein. So the, you know, the best, the, you know, the leanest sirloin has fat in it, 
and cholesterol. So you get it as a package. So if you eliminate those things, you're eliminating fat, cholesterol. Um, you're going to drop your cholesterol. You're going to drop your body mass index, improve your diabetes, um, all without serious side effects such as pancreatitis, gallstone, cellulitis, thermal burns, acute myocardial infarction, and worsening gastroparesis. So why wouldn't you do this? Um, comes back to that story that people, you know, because we're told a story that everybody in my family is overweight, everybody in my family has diabetes, premature coronary artery disease, it's not me, it's my genes. Um, genetics has dealt me a serious blow, and the only way around this, I'm too far gone, is to take some medication that I can't stop that may have serious side effects. Well, the biggest cause of cholecystitis, gallstones, is fat. So we have people all the time that their gallbladders are acting up. You know, it used to be that um, the doctor would say back in my mom's day, you know, when she had her gallbladder attacks, we're going to try to ride this out. We're not going to do surgery till we absolutely need to. But now with laparoscopic surgery, it's pretty easy to put, you know, a tube in your belly button and go up and take a robot and yank out your gallbladder. And, you know, so why change your diet when we can do this? So you might say we as healthcare providers actually need to change our story as well. Instead of looking for the quick fix, we need to take more time with people to explain that there is an alternative to what they're doing. And it's not that hard of an alternative. It's just an alternative. And we have to rewrite a story that lets people accomplish this. You know, when you talk about, well, you've got to lose 200 pounds, that just seems ominous. Or your cholesterol is 300, you're never going to get that down. That just seems like it's impossible. But we see it all the time, and it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. And certainly, you know, losing 100 pounds, it's not going to happen overnight. But it's the process that actually is the win. The process of doing that is actually a lifestyle change that will lead to long-term health as opposed to a quick fix, gastric bypass or this uh, certain medication that drops and only for the side effects to ensue and the weight to come back really quickly. So again, let's go back to slow steps, methodical steps, writing down what's your goal and write it down every day. What's your goal? What's your reason for your goal? You know, you want to see your grandkids get married. You want to be able to do things with them, not be the one that sits in the jazzy and, and somebody hands you a child and you hold them. You know, do you want to, you know, that should be off the table. You know, you want to be able to get down with your grandkids. And if you're not sure, if you've never seen anybody do that, then you need to look around at a different crowd. Because if you're hanging out with a crowd that can't get off the ground, um, if you're hanging out with a crowd that can't, you know, walk four or five miles, then there's some serious thought process that needs to go because you're going to be like the people you hang out with. If you hang out with a healthy crowd, you're more likely to be them. Your parents told you that when you were growing up. If you hang out with, uh, you know, the reckless crowd that they're unlikely to graduate from high school, then you're unlikely to graduate from high school. It continues. So you can either change as a group and have the honest conversation with the people around you that this is what needs to happen or this is what you're going to do and you'd love for them to do it with you if possible, but you understand if they don't want to. Or you're going to have to consider limiting your time with said people 
maybe a blessing from COVID again is that we're not around people as much as we used to be. And I'm not sure when we're going to be able to be around people as much as we used to. So that leaves you a lot more time to rewrite your own story and to follow it. Um, You don't have to worry about, you know, the drag of other people wanting to do things that, you know, um, take you off your, your path. But if you write that down every day and you have that fresh in your mind, it's, it's much harder to get distracted. One of the things that I'm trying to employ this year is a more positive attitude when it comes to turning around a negative day or a potential string of negative events. Um, sometimes when things start to go amiss, they continue to go amiss. Um, training little Sophie uh, my new German shepherd puppy. She's five and a half months old. And if there are any trainers out there, I believe this is the age where they start getting uh, a little bit um, more like a teenager or um, the terrible twos, so to speak. And so some days our walks are chase a rabbit, chase a car, want to chase a car, want to chase a person. And the positive reinforcement, it becomes more of a battle of wills, so to speak. And, you know, let's just get this done. And today we were having um, a similar uh, kind of a walk like that. Um, I decided to make today more of a recovery day and I was going to do a walk. And we started walking and Sophie was pulling more than she had. And we saw Rabbit and she was distracted and, you know, it took a long time to get her attention. She's somewhat car reactive and some days she's not, but today she was more. We saw a person and their dog. She did pretty good there, but, you know, she gets excited and she starts to pull and she's five and a half months old and about 50 some pounds. And so she's, you know, hard to wear out. It's not like she gets tired as the further we go. So we could probably walk 10 miles. We walk three, still had plenty of energy. And so at some point, I decided, you know, we're going to make teaching moments. We've got some time. I'm not doing my run. So we'll, we'll do some training exercises that help us in the long run and to get some positives out of today. So when she stopped to start to pull, one of the things that the group um, dog training group that I follow says, stop, don't let the dog be the director. You be the director. So I would stop until the lead went slack and we would wait and she'd look at me and I'd say yes and we'd go on. And we had to do that a lot more frequently today than usual. Um, Sometimes I would change direction, sometimes I would walk in figure eight so that they had to both watch me so that, you know, they knew where I was going. And so it it turned it around and made us like, okay, this is going to be a positive exercise. We're going to get something out of that, even though it's, she's not being the best Sophie, she is still learning today and we're going to get something out of it. So anyway, that's, that's my, my goal is to, to be more of a comeback person as opposed to slow and steady wins the race and we keep moving forward. What happens when things aren't going well and, and I've got to turn it around, you know, rather than just having this day be blown or this whatever be blown, how do we turn it around? And so, you know, one of the ways is to substitute a positive for a negative, right? We have negative and positive, yings and yangs. Um, Negative, negative, negative needs positive, positive, positive to try to balance things out. If we want it to be positive, maybe we need more positives. Maybe the weight of the positives aren't as much as the negatives, so we need more positives. Uh, Maybe we don't. 
My mom used to say that um, a child needs to be corrected immediately or they'll forget why they're being corrected. And the story of that goes to when I was small and I actually um, got corrected on the steps of the church. And we lived right across the street from the church. And a neighbor said, why don't you wait till she gets home to correct her? And my mom said, she'll forget. And so that's how literal she she did. She wasn't going to wait for us to cross the street for me to get my correction for misbehaving. I got it right there on the church steps. And um, so, but she had a point because if, you know, if I take it to dog training, not that I was a dog, but if I teach Sophie in the moment and we stop and wait, then she understands And the same thing happens as we get to be adults. If we wait to correct our behavior until we've accumulated a lot of negative behavior, it becomes much, much more hard. So when something goes awry in your nutrition plan, correct it positively right then and there. Make the positive. If the voice comes in that you want the Egg McMuffin, Correct it positively several times. Go through the list of why you don't want the Egg McMuffin, why it's not good for you, where your goals are, what's your story, what's, what's your reason for trying to become healthy, and over positive, that desire, that negative of trying to do those things. Somebody asked me uh, a question about um, what do I do for stress foods? Well, stress is associated with an increase in sympathetic tone, fight or flight. When we're under stress, the lion is chasing us, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, blood is detracted away from our intestines and more towards our skeletal muscles, so we digest less. That's stress. That's increased sympathetic tone. So stress foods, how would that possibly help me? I'm not going to digest them anyway. So no matter how good they are and how transient, you know, so they, they may give me a burst of dopamine, uh, according to Doug Lyle, you know, and serotonin, good feel, good hormones. He's correct, by the way. Well, how's that going to help? How's that going to help my stress? Because my sympathetic tone is going to be fed by dopamine and serotonin. It's not going to slow me down. It's going to, it's going to, again, make things worse. So I have less digestion, less ability to digest those comfort foods. I'm going to have more stress after I eat them because I'm going to get this dopamine surge. I'm going to need more dopamine because I'm not going to be satisfied. And the reality is I need more parasympathetic tone, more parasympathetic activation, which is the opposite. I need to improve my digestion, decrease my heart rate, decrease my blood pressure. So that would come about with active diaphragmatic breathing, activate my diaphragm, activate my vagal nerve, slow things down going for a walk, taking, you know, good breath, starting to think about positive things, that, that's all going to pull me back into the parasympathetic activity, lower my heart rate, yoga, relaxation. Those are what we should be looking at for stress, not comfort foods. Because, you know, it's, it's a misnomer. It's, you know, it's, it's, more like, it's more like pain med- medicine than it is fixing the stress. So if we were to take a Oxycontin for back pain, it doesn't 
fix the etiology of our back pain, but it covers it up for a while. And then we then we're going to need more. And that's exactly how food works when we start to look at it as a stress reliever or comfort food. You know, it's just really out there, again, to market places that make high-fat, high-caloric food. So, you know, think about that a little bit, what you can do when the stress gets up to change that. And when the stress goes up and the sympathetic tone goes up and we start breathing faster and we start blowing off more carbon dioxide, we, less, we release less oxygen to our tissues. And when we release less oxygen to our tissues, we burn less fat. We start burning just carbohydrate. So if we're in this stress, high stress, high sympathetic tone environment all the time, we're burning off our carbohydrate stores. We have about 2,000 calories in our muscle and 200 calories in our, in our liver, and we're, we're replacing that pretty readily all day long. And so we just burn the carbohydrate stores, and we're not really burning those fat stores like we would like to. So stress food's not the answer. Um, it's, you know, figuring out what's causing the stress and addressing that, but ultimately increasing the parasympathetic tone so that we can better deal with it and put more positives in to, to, to outweigh those negatives, so to speak. And I'm going to wrap it up by a little white lie segment. And I think I'm going to add a little white lie segment um, to most podcasts, especially when I think about it. And the little white lies are things we tell ourselves to justify what we do. Um, of course, little white lies can be a variety of things, but I think they trip us up. Um, and, and we're marketed to, you know, we're, we're taught how to use little white lies. For instance, crackers versus chips. It's, you know, I don't eat potato chips, I eat crackers. Well, what, what are the difference? If you look at the ingredients, they're pretty much the same. They may change the flour, but they have flour of some sort, whether it's corn flour, wheat flour, whatever flour, and oil and seasonings and preservatives. So they're basically the same thing. They're just in a different, they're put in a box versus a bag. They're shaped differently, but the result is the same, but we justify that a cracker is so much more healthy than a chip. We eat the same amount usually. The marketers were able to make them into little Cheez-Its, right? Little square ones, so you have to eat more. Uh, or little ones that break, you know, the break in half, but you always eat the, you know, the extra one. So they're little white lies that marketers have taught us to use that gets us nowhere. The other thing I'm going to, the other, the other little white lie is protein bars. Everybody needs a protein bar because nobody gets enough protein. But the protein bars aren't just protein. Just like smoothies, protein smoothies, their, their protein powder is not just protein. If you just ate protein powder, it's nasty. So you have to put something with it. You either put fruit or a scoop of peanut butter, which is 85% fat, or, you put, or it has some sort of sugary substance that makes it taste okay. You wouldn't just eat the protein powder by itself, I dare you. One without stevie or anything. Same way with a protein bar. There's more than just protein in the bar. There's some sort of sugar in there, some sort of fat, nuts, and preservatives. It's not just protein. It's, it's a candy bar that, you know, look at a Snickers versus I think their Marathon bar was one of their um, energy bars or their protein bar. They're pretty similar in, in, the, in the overall ingredient list as far as macronutrients. 
But we can call them a protein bar, and they sound much better than saying, I'm having a candy bar. I'm having a protein bar. But you're really lying to yourself because you know when you're eating the protein bar, you're just eating the candy bar in a different kind of wrapper that might have a piece of fruit on the front. So those are a couple things that, you know, are a little white lies, and we'll, and we'll do more over time. But it's just things to start to notice and become more mindful. And when you're looking for those 200 calories to eliminate, that protein bar might be the first one you might want to look at. So I encourage you to start writing more in your calendar, write your purpose, and write your plan, and, and keep after yourself so that you can change your habits over time and um, do it day by day, and every day will get a little bit better. If you want to know more about our practice and what we do, um, go over on to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, and check out uh, what we do. Uh, we're doing wellness challenges to get people moving and mindful about their movement as far as their nutrition webinars. We just had a, a webinar. We'll be having uh, one again in March if you want to listen to one of those. Um, but you can find out all that stuff at drdelaney.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. If you want to email me with questions, jamie at drdelaney.com, J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com. I'd like to hear from you. Any questions or subjects you'd like to hear about, we'll try to address them. Have a great week. Keep moving. Keep looking for ways to cut a few calories. <laughs>